It is a great joy to have David Ellis here to preach this morning. David, for 21 years, was the pastor of Astoria Community Church in Queens, where he was when I first met him in the Metro New York uh, Presbytery when we were serving in that presbytery together. Uh, David has been here to preach. If you've been around, you have probably heard him preach here a few years ago, and it's great to have him back. And it's also fun that David has a personal connection to Montclair. He spent some of his growing up years here in Montclair, I believe uh, through, uh, second through fourth grade he was here, uh, and swung by his old house on the way here to church this morning. David is currently the assistant pastor and senior director of spiritual formation and community at Redeemer Presbyterian Church East Side. Love these connections, and so it's so great to have you here, David. Welcome back. Thank you. So good to be here, uh, to be back here, especially this day of our sister Noah's uh, baptism. This is a special day, so I'm glad to be here. Somebody asked me if I feel like um, Montclair has changed a lot since I was in second grade. Um, <laughs> it has changed, but not as much as I have. So um, let me uh, read the passage that I'd like us to look at together today. This is from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And we'll look at verse 12 through verse 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. We do thank you, God, for your word. We realize that we need your truth, and we also need your Holy Spirit to open our minds and hearts to your truth. And so we ask that he would do that for us today. In Christ's name, amen. So this passage that we're looking at is a portion of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of early Christians, a group of men and women who lived in the ancient city of Colossae. And in this portion of his letter, the Apostle talks about how God has called us, all of us who are following Jesus, God has called us to love other people for the glory of Christ. In Christ, we are called to love others. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you look at this passage, you'll see that there are three things we learn here that give us an understanding of this call God has placed on our life, this call to love others. Three things we learn. Uh, we learn who it is that we are called to love, who we're called to love. Secondly, we learn how we are to love them. And then thirdly, we learn where we can find the you know, the strength and the resources and the courage and the wherewithal to love people this way. So these three things, who we are to love, how we are to love them, and then where we can get the power to do this. 
So we'll start with who. Who are we called to love? Well, someone says, I think we are supposed to love everyone in the world, right? And that's true. And guess what? Most of us are doing a pretty good job at that. All right? I mean, take me, for example. I, I am never rude or impatient or unkind or demanding or unthoughtful with 99.999% of the people in this world. And you know why? Because I don't know them. I've never, I've never met them. I never will meet them. See, are you, are you like me? I'm, I am, I'm pretty good at loving humanity, all right? It's not hard to love humanity. What's hard is to be gentle and patient with the people you know. There's a, there's a short story by Flannery O'Connor. It's called The Lame Shall Enter First. And it's a story about a man named Shepherd. Shepherd is a single father. His wife passed away. He's raising a little five-year-old boy by himself. And uh, Shepherd, he's one of these people who's very, very concerned in kind of an idealistic way about humanitarian causes. And so Shepherd volunteers to, uh, to work at a, a local reform school for young men that are caught up in the justice system. And, and, and all the while that he's giving hours every week to working with these young men, all the while he's doing this, He's neglecting his son. He's the only parent this little boy has, and he's neglecting his son. In fact, he, he even sometimes berates his, his son for being so, so demanding. Don't you know that we need to help these young men? That, that, that's the story. And if you've read Flannery O'Connor before, you will not be surprised to learn that the story has a very tragic ending, all right? But the point of the story is this. It doesn't matter, listen, it doesn't matter how much you love humanity if you don't love the people at your breakfast table, if you don't love the people God has placed in your life. And that's, in this passage, that, that's whom the apostle is calling us to love. The, the, um, the people who are close to you, the people in your life, maybe the people who have the same last name as you, people you see at Thanksgiving dinner, the people you work with Monday to Friday, the people who are right around you right now. See, when you read a book like Colossians, it's important to remember, Colossians is not kind of a general uh, theological treatise written for, for the whole world. Colossians was a letter, a letter written to a very specific group of people. And if you read on in the book of Colossians, you'll, you'll find that among the people to whom Paul wrote this letter, that there were some married couples. He goes on to talk to husbands and wives, you know, men and women who were married, they'd been married for years, they shared space together, they lived under the same roof. Certainly there had been some friction and interaction. He writes to them. He also writes to family units, to, to parents and children who, you know, sometimes had conflicts at home. And he wrote to people who worked together. You'll see that. He writes to the bond servants, men and women who every day went out into the fields and worked shoulder to shoulder, and, and the masters whose job it was to hand out the assignments. So this, just understand, this is not some kind of systematic theology. This is, this is not just written in a, an abstract way to tell Christians in general how to treat faceless strangers with, with theoretical love. This is written to people who knew each other, They'd probably known each other their entire lives. And notice what Paul says to them. In, in this passage, there's, there's a phrase that repeats itself again and again and again. And the phrase is this. One another. Or each other. So you see that beginning of verse 13. Uh, 
the apostle says, bear with each other if any of you has a grievance. He doesn't say bear with imperfect people if you ever happen to meet one. He says bear with each other. Verse, verse 13, the middle of the verse, he does not say, and be forgiving toward random strangers. No, he says, forgive one another. The person you just had an, an argument with last week, forgive one another, he says, as the Lord forgave you. And in verse 16, he does not say, sign up for a mission trip so you can travel to the other side of the world and teach God's word to people there. No, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you as you teach one another. So this, this passage, this is, not, this is not general instructions about loving humanity in some kind of theoretical way. Th these, words, these words were written to some people who had just spent the entire day working together in a small kitchen, stepping on each other's toes. All right? And Paul says, love each other. The uh, legendary... Christian social activist Dorothy Day, she used to say this. She would say, it is people who are important, not the masses. So who are we called to love? Everyone in the world, yes. But the people God is most concerned with you loving are, are well, they may be the people that drove here to church with you this morning. People that are already in your life. First, First John 4 verse 20 says, Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Notice the emphasis is not on just loving people. It's on the, the, the brother and sister you've seen. So who are we called to love? People who are already close to you in your life. Now, how are, we, how are we to love them? Well, if you look at verse 12 through 14, you'll see a description there of seven different virtues that we're told we are to clothe ourselves with. What a metaphor. Paul says, put these things on. Clothe yourself with these, uh, with these virtues in your interactions with, with others. And so there's seven virtues. Let me just go through them very quickly. The first virtue, Paul says, is compassion. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he says, clothe yourself with compassion. And, and the word that's translated compassion is actually a phrase, a couple of words, that, that, that literally means bowels of mercy. One uh, uh, Bible scholar, N.T. Wright, he said, this is referring to deep sensitivity, deep sensitivity to the needs and sorrows of others. In other words, this word, this is talking about what you feel. It's talking about your emotional response to people. When, when someone you know is hurting or tired or angry or ashamed and you care enough about that person to let yourself begin to feel a little bit of what they're feeling. You empathize with, with their, their emotions about... Um, Oh, six or seven years ago, a friend of mine uh, did this for me, a fellow pastor. His name is Charlie. I was going through a very difficult time in my personal life, and Charlie heard about it, and he invited me up to, uh, to his apartment in the Bronx, and we just spent some time together. He, he, he fed me lunch. He listened to me, talked, asked me a few questions, prayed with me about an hour and a half, and, uh, you know, he didn't solve my problem at all. 
In fact, he didn't even have any advice for me. No solutions. I walked out of Charlie's apartment, and I, I walked out of his apartment with the exact same problem I had when I walked in there. But I felt so different. I mean, I just felt like a load had been lifted from my shoulders. Why? Because what Charlie did was he gave me the gifts of compassion. He entered into my emotions. He allowed himself to just to feel a little bit of the sorrow that, that I was feeling. And I wonder, has, has, uh, has anyone ever done that for you, given you the gift of compassion? So that's the first virtue the, the apostle says. Clothe yourself, he says, with compassion. The second one is kindness. Now, if, uh, if compassion is what we feel, then I think you could say kindness is what we do. You might even say kindness is compassion expressing itself in action. So when you, when you demonstrate kindness, you don't, just, you don't just feel sad that someone's in the hospital. No, you actually go visit them, right? You don't just feel for your friend who has to move next Saturday. Oh, I feel for you moving. It stinks. No, you, no. if you show kindness, you actually show up and you help her load the U-Haul, right? You, so kindness, kindness is compassion expressing itself in deeds. I wonder if in the, in the last six months, I wonder if anyone has shown kindness to you. Mark Twain said kindness is the language the deaf can hear and the blind can can see. So, someone else said, kindness makes you the most beautiful person in the world, no matter what you look like. So Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness. And then the third virtue, he says, is humility. St. Augustine said that the three most important virtues in the Christian life are humility, humility, and humility. Uh, John Stott, the uh, Christian author, said humility is, quote, the rarest and fairest of all Christian virtues. So how do, how do you know? How do you know if somebody is a humble person? How do, how do you know if you have clothed yourself with humility? Well, um, would you agree with this? A, hum, a humble person is not easily offended. If you know someone like that, they just don't, they don't get offended very easily. A humble person can admit when they're wrong. Sometimes for me, it's even hard to admit the possibility that I might be wrong. But a humble person has no problem with that. Uh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a dead giveaway to some, someone who's humble. A humble person listens more than they talk. A humble person, they, they just ask questions and they listen to you. I, I have four adult children. I look back on raising them. I, I, I wish I had done a better job of just listening to my kids. I think the reason I didn't is a lack of humility in me. Here's one, one more sign of humility. A humble person never seems to be shocked when they hear about your sins. Because you see, to the humble person, your, your sins seem pretty mild compared to their own. So, so the apostle says, clothe yourself with these virtues, compassion, kindness, humility. Then, then the fourth one is gentleness. Clothe yourself with gentleness. You could also translate that mildness or meekness. Sometimes people think uh, gentleness is a sign that a person is weak. 
Meekness is weakness, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> Gentleness is not weakness. Or, uh, so Moses, you read in the Bible? Moses, we, we read, he was the meekest man of his whole generation. Moses was not weak. Now Moses, he, he marched into to Pharaoh's palace, stared that king right in the eye, and he said, you let my people go. He was not weak. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was not weak. So meekness or gentleness, it's not weakness. So what is it? I think you could define it this way. Gentleness is strength under control. So a, a gentle woman or a gentle man might be a very confident, strong person, but he or she, they control their strength. They kind of rein in their own strength for the benefit of others. So a gentle person is not rude. A gentle person is not abrasive. A gentle person is not pushy. A, a, a woman or a man who is I, I gentle, they, they don't dominate, they do not intimidate, they don't manipulate others to get their way. A gentle person just keeps their strength under control. The next uh, virtue the apostle talks about is patience. If, um, if a gentle person is someone who keeps their strength under control, I wonder if you could say that a patient person is, is someone who keeps their anger under control. Sometimes people say, oh, I wish I were one of those patient people. Patient people, they never feel angry. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, patient people, they're never bothered by anything. Oh, they are bothered by things. But a patient man or woman keeps his or her anger under control. They don't jump to conclusions. They don't react impulsively to situations. A, a patient person will measure his or her words very carefully so that the words, so that the words don't hurt people. They, they heal people. So, so a patient person will learn to express displeasure in ways that are constructive rather than destructive. I wonder if, as I'm describing patience, I wonder if anyone comes to mind for you. Who, do, do you have you known somebody who's just like that, just very patient? If you have, um, let me ask you a question. Isn't someone like that delightful to be around? I mean, when you're, when you're around somebody who's, who's patient, you're not, you don't feel like you're nervous or you're afraid they're going to judge you. You're not like walking on eggshells. I don't know what they're going to say. When, when you're, here's, here's one sign that you're with someone who's patient. When you're with someone who's patient, you just feel free to be yourself. It's delightful. So um, patience is one of the virtues. Now, this, the sixth virtue, he, the sixth virtue is really a double virtue. They kind of go together. He, he talks about forgiveness and forbearance. He says, uh, verse 13, bear with, forbearance, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have, has a, grievant, a grievance against someone. Forgiveness and forbearance. Well, now what do these mean? We'll start with forgiveness. What does it mean? To, what is forgiveness? Listen, forgiveness does not mean feeling good about what that person did to you. Man, that's an impossible assignment. Supposed to feel, feel good about that? For, forgiveness does not mean making excuses for someone's wrong behavior. Oh, she had a rough day at work. That's why she yelled at the kids. You know, it, No, forgiveness is not making excuses for people. 
Forgiveness is not pretending that the wrongdoing never took place. In, in fact, if you look at verse 16, verse 16 says we are to teach and admonish one another. What is admonish? That just means warn. The apostle says you are to warn people. Sometimes just point, confront them with their sin. So forgiveness, it's not making excuses for people's behavior or somehow making yourself feel good about that. Here, what is forgiveness? This is a definition that helps me understand it. Forgiveness is when... When I make a decision that even though someone has hurt me, I will not hurt them. I will let go. I'll just let go. So forgiveness is this decision that, yes, you have been hurt. You know you have been hurt. You know wrong has been done. But by God's grace, you say, I will not get revenge. I'll let go. So when you forgive someone, you, uh, you just realize that you're not... <laughs> You're not going to make them miserable for the rest of your life by bringing up again and again that thing they've done. You remember that time I loaned you my car five years ago and you backed into that light pole? You remember that? No, you, no. you're just not going to talk about it anymore. Or, or you're not going to try to somehow hurt that person socially by gossiping about them. You know, I want you to know I've, I have forgiven Bob for what he did for me, but uh, just let me tell you about it. No. When, when, you, when you forgive, you just say, by God's grace, I'm going to do my best. I may struggle, but I'm going to do my best to let go of this. I'm not going to carry a grudge. I'm not going to get revenge. I'm going to let go. That's forgiveness. Now, if, if forgiveness is um, how we deal with uh, somebody's sin, forbearance is different. For, forbearance is how you deal with someone's shortcomings. You, you know, um, not everything's a sin, there, there are difference, there's a difference between shortcomings and sin. There are some things in our lives that just kind of bother people and get on their news, and they're not necessarily sinful. They're just weaknesses, just frailties about who we are, how we, how we function. So I, I've, been married for, um, I've been married for over 33 years to a woman who has shown great forbearance for my shortcomings. And if you knew me well, you'd probably know what I'm talking about. Just little things about me that will get on your nerves if you spend time around me enough. Not sinful, just shortcomings. And my, and my wife has shown great forbearance. Just, you, when you show someone forbearance, um, you, you're basically just giving God time to work on them. You're just cutting them some slack. You're just... You're just, what does it say in First Peter, love covers over a multitude of sin. You're just saying, you know what, I, can, I love her. I can cover that over. So um, how are we to love people? Well, you respond to their sins with forgiveness. You respond to their, their shortcomings with forbearance. So these are the virtues. There's seven of them. Um, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and forbearance. And then the seventh virtue, it's love. Verse 14, over all these virtues, put on, clothe yourself with love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In his, uh, his book, uh, The Great Divorce, 
C.S. Lewis tells the story of a man who dies and goes to heaven. And he tells you in the preface to the book, he's, this is not a, he said, this, I'm not trying to give some kind of theological explanation of the afterlife. I'm just using this, this as sort of an extended metaphor uh, to, to explain some, uh, some principles of the Christian life. So in, in the book, this man, he dies and he goes to heaven. And there's one scene where this guy's walking around heaven and he has this celestial guide who's showing him around the, the kingdom of heaven. And as this man is walking around heaven, he sees in the distance there's this, there's this crowd of beings that's coming toward him, this great procession is coming toward him. And, and as he gets closer, he hears that there's loud music playing and he, he realizes there are thousands and thousands of angels dancing and shouting in triumph around this one person who's coming close to him. And as the reader of the book, you're thinking, I, I wonder who this is who is processing onto the scene. Who could this possibly be who is so great in the kingdom of heaven? I read that I'm wondering, is this one of the apostles? Is this one of the popes? Is this some famous missionary? Is this some great preacher? Who is this? And, and this, this, uh, this crowd processes onto the scene, and the man looks up, and in the middle of this great celebration, there's some woman he doesn't recognize. And so he says to his celestial guide, who, who is that person? And the guide says, it's Sarah Smith. And he says, who? And he goes, Sarah Smith. She lived at Golders Green. And, and the man says, I never heard of her. What, what did she do? What's she famous for? And the guide says, she loved people. She just loved the people in her life. She was like, all, for all the little kids in her neighborhood, she was like a second mom to them. And, and her husband was kind of not an easy guy to live with, but she loved him, and she loved her relatives and, and the shopkeepers. He, he said she even loved the cats and dogs that lived around her house. She just loved people. And, and, and the guy in the, in the, who's in heaven, he goes, she's famous for that? And the guide said, yes, she's one of the great ones. He said, fame in this country. In other words, fame in the kingdom of heaven and fame on earth are two different things. 1 Corinthians 13, do you know this passage? It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, no matter how eloquent I might be, if I, don't, if I don't have love, I am an obnoxious noise. I am your neighbor's car alarm at 12 o'clock at night that won't stop beeping. He said, if, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am what? What's the next word? Nothing. I'm Nothing. If I, if I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And then there's this explanation of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. The apostle says, over all these virtues, put on love. So who are we called to love? 
your kids, your parents, your spouse, your best friends, your coworkers, the people that are already right there in your life. You don't have to go looking for them. How, how are we to love them? Just, we are to let the Holy Spirit begin to change us. Not change them, change us. Clothing us with these virtues. Now, the most important question. Where do we get the power to do this? How do we, how do we get the, the, uh, the strength, the resources to love people this way? Listen, the, the answer to that question is not try really hard. Try hard to love them. If someone, Pastor Dan, if someone says to you, ah, Pastor, I'm really trying hard to love you, that, that doesn't feel good, right? <laughs> and it doesn't work. You can tell if someone doesn't really love you. You can tell. Even if they're trying, you can tell. It just doesn't work. So what is the answer? Well, if you look at this passage, you'll notice there's a theme of gratitude that runs through this passage. The theme of gratitude. Uh, let me start at verse 15. The apostle says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again and again in this passage, we, we're just called to thanksgiving. We're called to gratitude. Now, now why is that? I'll tell you why. Because what empowers us to love others, what empowers you to love others, is not guilt. Gu feeling guilty, I'm so unloving, I need to change. That's not going to make you loving. Or, and it's not some sense of duty. I guess I have to love you. You are my wife, after all. No, it's not going <laughs> to... It's not going to work. It's certainly not this vain desire to somehow appear as a good person. I want, I want everyone at Montclair Redeemer to know what a loving person I am. That's not going to work. It will not make you loving. The only thing that can really change you is what we sang about in the very first song. I love that song that we sang at the beginning. I forget the exact words, but it may... May we be changed by your love for us. It's this, it's this sense of gratitude that, that to God for his grace. So um, you'll notice in this passage, the God who calls you to love others is described as the God who loves you. The God who calls you to love others is described as the God who loves you. Verse 12 says, listen, verse 12 says that we are God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved. Believer in Christ, you know what that means? That means you are the apple of God's eye. You, you, you are, you are, your, your name comes to God's mind throughout continually. You, you are God's delight. He loves you. Verse 13, where we're told to forgive others. We're, we're told to forgive others, not so that God will forgive us. Forgive people so God will forgive you. No, it says we're to forgive people because God has forgiven you. It, it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
So can I just sit on that thought for a minute? Believer in Christ, the Lord has forgiven you. I think someone here needs to hear that this morning. The Lord has forgiven you. That, that one secret that you feel so ashamed of and you hope no one ever learns about it. The Lord has forgiven you. That one nagging habit that you wish you could break and you, you haven't yet. The Lord has forgiven you. That weekend in college, oh man, you wish you could take that back. The Lord has forgiven you. I mean, doesn't the gospel tell us that with such clarity? Sometimes we, we forget it. It tells us that, that, that God, out of love for lost sinners like us, God came into this world in the person of his son, and, and in the person of his son, on the cross, God took the guilt and the shame of all of our sin onto his own self and dealt with it there. You're forgiven. He's, he's forgiven you. So we're, we're told you are to love people. You who are to love people are loved by God. And you see that, I, I think, in this one beautiful way. Verse 17, we are told that God is our Father. Um, I love that question from the Heidelberg Catechism that we read this morning. Don't you love that? It talks about how God is able to work in whatever bad things happen in our life. He's able to work for our good. And then the final line, I love it. It says, God is able to do this because he's almighty God. And God delights to do this because he's your father. He's your father. Now, what does that mean to say that God is, is your father? You know, some, some people here, some of us had really good fathers. Some of you maybe had really bad fathers. Most of us just kind of had average fathers, right? <laughs> what does it mean that God is your father? Uh, a few years ago, there was this show that's on Netflix, and um, I, I, one week of vacation, I really got into this show. I watched the entire, one entire season of this show in, in just one week. It, it's, a, a, it's one of these reality um, survivor competition shows. It's called Alone. All right, it's kind of like Survivor, but you're not part of a team. You are alone. So they take people who are skilled survivalists, and they drop them off in different parts of the wilderness. They're all by themselves. They have to set up a camera to film themselves and to see who can survive the longest, right? They just have a couple of little tools, and somehow they, they have to build their own uh, structure to keep themselves from the elements. They have to find their own food. They have to build their own fire. They have to survive. And whoever can survive the longest without... I, I mean, they try not, that you don't die. But whoever can survive the longest without quitting wins a million dollars, right? So they have all these people that are trying to survive. And, and this one episode, they were way up in the northern part of, of Canada where it gets really cold. And um, the, the, the deal was if you reach the point where you, you're starving to death or you're hurt, you're supposed to get on the radio and, and you say, I, please rescue me. And they send in the helicopters and they airlift you out of there and you're out of the competition. So there was this one guy uh, on that season of Alone. This guy was so good at surviving. I mean, he was good. His, his, his little uh, log cabin was like no one else's. It was just this beautiful, beautiful structure. And his specialty was fishing. He, had, he just like one after another kept 
hauling out of this, this northern lake, these huge fish. He would fillet them. He would smoke them over the fire to preserve the meat. And he had, he had, in his cabin, he had like the whole wall just lined with smoked fish. The whole winter's worth of food already caught, all right, before winter hit. And I'm watching that show. I'm thinking, this guy is going to walk away with a million bucks. But this man made one fatal mistake that cost him the competition. You know what he did? When he was getting ready to go up to the northern parts of Canada, in his luggage, he packed a photograph of his children. And every night when he went to sleep next to the campfire, he would pull out this photograph and look at his kids. Cute little boy, cute little girl. And he'd say, oh, I miss my children. I miss them so much. I wonder what they're doing right now. I wonder if my wife is tucking them into bed. I wonder if they, if they had a pillow fight today. I wonder what's happening with my children. And he'd look at this picture night after night, and finally he couldn't take it anymore. He got on the radio. He called them in. Please send the helicopter now. Get me out of here. The, the, the rescuers landed. They come up to the guy. What's the matter? Are you hurt? He said, no, I'm fine. They go, are you hungry? No, I got plenty of food. They go, why did you call us? He said, I miss my children. I love my children. Now, believer in Christ, I want you to hear this. That's a tiny picture of the way God the Father loves you. This guy gave up a million bucks to be with his kids. doesn't even compare to what, what the Father gave up. He, he gave up his precious son to be with you. So how do, we, how do we get the power to love people? I'm going to guess that some of you have some people in your life who are not easy to love. Anybody? No, don't raise your hand. But <laughs> how are you going to get the power to love them? So there's, there's this phrase. You, you may have heard this before. It's a phrase that's really helpful for understanding why some people behave the way they do. Um, you know, people that are always kind of rude or mean or insensitive. It just, it kind of helps you understand them. And, and the phrase is this, hurt people, hurt people. You know, sometimes when somebody's been abandoned or they've been criticized or they've, they've been through a lot of difficulty, they just, they almost can't help it. They, they've been hurt, so they hurt others, right? Hurt people, hurt people. There's a, there's a, a happy corollary to that saying, and, and it's this. Loved people, love people. People who've just been loved well. Some of you, maybe you grew up like that. You were just, there wasn't a lot of criticism. There wasn't a lot of harshness. You were just loved well in, in your home growing up. And it just, for you, it's so much easier to love others. Loved people, love people. And some of you are thinking, oh, man, I'm, I don't have a chance. Because I was not loved well. I was abandoned. I was rejected. I was criticized all the time. I was not loved well. I guess I'll never love people. Listen, all right, you were not loved well that might have been true of you before you met Jesus, that is not true about you anymore. Listen, believer in Christ, and by the way, I'm saying believer in Christ, if you're not a believer in Christ, you could start believing in him today. He's waiting for you, all right? Believer in Christ, you are dearly loved. You are completely forgiven. You are treasured by the Father. 
There's, there, there's, there's nothing you could do to make him stop loving you. There's nothing. He will not stop loving you. He gave his son to make you his. And so I, I think one of the ways that we just let the spirit transform us so that we can love others, just let God love you. Receive that love. Thank him for that love. Trust in that love. And watch, watch him clothe you with these seven virtues. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the people that you've placed in our lives. Thank you for our family and our relatives and our co-workers. Thank you that you've called us to love them. Before we do that, let us know that you love us. You love us so deeply in Christ. And for that we say thanks. Amen.